the talk this morning is towards seeing afresh. In establishing a certain overview for our life, we might conveniently divide our life into what we would consider primary activities and secondary activities. And we look at the motion of our life and we see there are some things in our everyday life which we're very much concerned with, that they, um, are th that this is shown by the frequency that we give action to that which we're concerned about, the frequency which we think and feel about these things and speak about these things which are of concern to us. And so we find ourselves looking at our life and to some degree or other it comes down to a number of primary interests. And these primary interests govern, shape, influence our, our life and we see also, too, that there are a variety of minor, what we would consider or interpret as minor activities, minor interests, which don't compare in terms of our concern with these major ones. When we look at our, our life and these, these primary, these major interests of our life, sometimes we feel that there's a certain continuity of, un of dissatisfaction, a, fe a feeling that what one is putting one's energy into, what one is focusing on and expressing in, in life, somehow perhaps doesn't meet a part of us. It doesn't meet some other need or some intuition. And so it's not unusual for us to find ourselves having to stare face to face with a certain activity of our life which we are not sure whether we wish to continue in or not. And at those times we find ourselves in a dilemma, sometimes the intensification of a dilemma, the, a conflict situation. Shall I continue in this primary way of living or this primary activity or should I make a, a major change in my life? And all of us have felt ourselves in the present and in the past and in the future at, as it were, some kind of crossroads where such decisions have to be made. And when there are, when this arises, and it arises, of course, for some of you who, who are here, it sometimes means that in the condition of the mind which we have, and, and partly due to our uh, background and our education, we sometimes believe and think almost rather naively that if we keep thinking about that particular issue, that particular decision, that there will come about some kind of resolution. And what very easily happens to us in the extension of that thinking, that our thought is in fact very circular. 
it keeps going over it and over it and over it again. And that there is just sufficient variation in the thought, sufficient, ch sufficient change in the idea to maintain the interest. No matter how painful the interest might be, and no matter how indecisive one is, there's just enough variety to say, let's keep it going. And it's not unusual, of course, within a situation like that we ha have here, that it, the same thing arises, the same kind of effort and desire to resolve something appears and reappears again and again from one sitting to the next, one day to the next. And perhaps really in, in that practice and meditation is not only the gaining of faith, but it's also the losing of faith. And a very appropriate and apt loss of faith is loss of faith in one's thinking. And it's rather an important step, and one of the things which we can learn, and many ways to learn, of course, uh, about how necessary it is for us to become aware of the, not only of the scope of, thi of thought, which our Western society has been exploring for the last 3,000 years with all the, the, the Greek-Roman influence, not only the scope of thought, but coming to an, an awareness <coughs> a very practical awareness of its limitation and to be very clear that it's a limited form of human expression. And that rather goes in face of all that we've been told, all the corridors and of knowledge, the, the centers of learning, the endless output of information. Yet when we come to our personal reality, we see thought is a very limited way of viewing and concluding. <coughs> and to some degree or other, and it's one of the reasons and motives that brings us into these kind of situations, perhaps we've, we are already to a degree aware of its limitation and out of that awareness comes the quest for an alternative, for a fresh way of seeing. And that's where, of course, meditation has a particularly useful function, because primarily it's a non-conceptual activity in which thought is seen as just a phenomenon, a word, an, I an idea, a, a concept, a, an image, which arises and passes in consciousness, so then it's not a primary object of interest. It's simply a phenomena which is occurring, sparking in consciousness. And through it not being a primary interest, our meditation practice and the field of observation can then develop and deepen. And this will have a noticeable effect on thinking.
When we give consideration in our life to our primary action, there's a, there's a certain ways of looking at it. And so often in life, you know, we, we have tended to make things very, very complicated. And that obscures the possibility for simple seeing, clear seeing. And we might say that in these primary activities, as well as in the more secondary ones, that in the mind, at the various levels of the mind, there's some kind of motivation at work. One has a specific interest and motivation to make something happen. That motivation leads, when it is strong enough, it leads to some action. And the action which we engage in, whatever it is, bears some fruit, it bears some results. So we look at the primary things of what we're doing, and in coming to an awareness we see what's the motivation in the mind, which can change and fluctuate, of course. What are the primary actions? What's the effect and the result of this, personally, socially? And we find that out of this sequence of events which determine and affect our lives, we see that the results come, we experience certain results. Out of those results, motivations come, they may change, it may be a continuity of what we have been doing, or the results are such that it says, enough is enough. But of course to be able in life to make decisions, to be actually, to, to be able to make decisions freely and, and clearly in one's life, one of the things which is so necessary for it is that there is space within. There is actually space inside of ourselves, Because what we find so often is, we see the motivations, we see the actions, we see the results, the results we feel unsatisfactory, the pain, the confusion, or whatever it may be, keeps reproducing itself. But, because there isn't enough space, we find ourselves compelled to go through the same cycle again. Finding ourselves, as we often say, I'll never do that again. I'll never repeat history again. I'll never get into another relationship or whatever. <laughs> I thought that might strike home. Um, <laughs> and the, yet the sequence of events in our life and the kind of conditioning, the all too human needs which are arising, produce the same sequence. And if we haven't actually learnt something clearly, we are doomed to repeat our own history. If we haven't learned something through motivation, action and results, nature is the nature, it just tends to recycle.
And here in a situation as we have here, we're trying, and sometimes we may not be aware of it, we're trying to discover fresh ways of seeing, ways of looking differently from that kind of sequence, ways which recognize the past and the motivations that can be coming from the past or from the near present or present, recognize the actions and the kind of fruits and consequences of our actions, but trying to see in another way. And that seeing in another way, one aspect of it is that we hopefully are not so preoccupied with time. Not so much preoccupied with doing this in order that this fruit will come in a way which is really, really desirable. But rather a way of relating in life in which the means or the action itself takes on a primary interest. In other words, it's not so much tomorrow, but what's the quality of today? So we might ask ourselves, we've been here a few days together. The silence creates its own kind of space. We've had the uh, opportunity to, to be with ourselves. What are some of the primary experiences that have been standing out for each one of us as these days unfold? When we just stop for a moment, what, what tends to come to consciousness? And what perhaps is there to be to be seen there? What's there to be learned from that? Is it the effect of something? So that is our practice and our days continue. Our practice is one of, tr as much as possible, being clear, of course, as we proceed. Being clear about what our primary experiences are. Being clear if it's the effect. And if so, what are some of the conditions which produce the effect? So that, so that as much as possible within the context of what we're doing, we're being conscious. Now in fresh ways of looking, one of the characteristics of it, and here we have a real opportunity to explore this, 
is to reduce the seemingly great difference that you and I have created in our life between primary interests and secondary interests. Between the primary areas of our life, whatever they might be, and the ordinary and the everyday. And what we tend to do with life, we make such a sharp division between these two that the very ordinary and everyday becomes trivialized. Even though we might recognize it's indispensable, one can't live without the, these minor, what we consider minor things, we've trivi trivialized them. And so within the context of a total day situation and on a retreat, we have the opportunity to, some, to find ways and means to redress the balance. So that instead of the old way of looking of this is really important and eating a meal or going to the, the, the toilet or standing up or s going to sit down is really irrelevant, we have the opportunity to reduce this, these differences so that there's more a sense of harmony within our day. More a sense of giving value and recognizing the value that our particular activities have. Our particular actions, no matter what they are. And if we can begin to reduce this difference in life, life is going to seem radically different. Sometimes in this relating to the present, of course, it seems that our mind very much steers completely away from it. And this becomes an almost magnetic attraction to yesterday and yesteryear and tomorrow and so forth. And we might ask ourselves, what's, what is one missing in the present? What, what is so lacking in the present that our mind seems to prefer to indulge and get caught up in, in the image or in the anticipation? And perhaps, perhaps, part of it is that we trivialize that which is worth giving attention to. And we lose in our relationship to life and ourselves a certain kind of sensitivity for the ordinary and the everyday. When we look at the context of our days here, we might s say, for convenience sake, that the div day is divided up into these areas of wake up to breakfast, breakfast to lunch, lunch to tea, tea to sleep. As it were, four, shall we say, primary sections or areas of the day. Each one of those 
time periods offer all of us a real opportunity to say, in this time period, let me give wholehearted attention and mindfulness to the activity. If one takes, for example, in the sitting meditation, much of how the quality of the sitting, the condition of your sitting, is determined before you walk through the door. Before you and I are actually in here on the Zafu is, a, is the, uh, the immediacy of those contributing conditions have as a result what the quality is when one is sitting. And very easily, just through the, the repetition of coming through the door and coming to sit down, the mind slips into its mechanical habit. And so because the, the resolution or the motivation is absent sometimes for us, is slack in s for us, when we actually come to sit itself, we experience that in terms of some effect. Whereas when we come in with a quiet determination, being as conscious and as firm, and one might say as dedicated to the, the practice as possible, it itself has the beneficial impact that when one comes to sit, there is a quiet determination to use the sitting as if one's life depends on it. And it does. That one has the sense through the consideration to the other peri periods of, of the day that the opportunity to sit and to be and to stay with just being is something very rare and very precious. In this rather often and understandably we can n noticeably forget it. Noticeably forget the opportunity we have. And in our coming and, in, and just sitting through the period of time of, of sitting and being aware, when one's commitment there as it is there for you and people putting so much energy into the retreat, one finds small but subtle and rather beautiful ways of bringing to one's practice, and therefore to life itself, greater refinement. And th there's that development of more, to leading itself towards being more impeccable in one's practice. And one of the ways that that can show itself is coming to sit, sitting very mindfully, checking the posture, in the course of the sitting, emphasizing more within the course of the sitting, more the stillness of the posture. Because this element of stillness and silence, I would say, are two primary spiritual elements. And in our world, which is so congested, in which stillness is ignored and movement and often 
speediness and compulsive activity becomes the norm, this area of silence and stillness is something which we become terribly alienated from. And we just think of those elements in life as somehow being an absence of noise or an absence of doing. And we have no or little recognition, appreciation that these are very primary, fundamental life elements which say a great deal to each one of us. And therefore spiritual in the, the mystical sense of it. And one of the ways that we can find within the context of our practice and in our sitting is that the refinement takes place in which there is an energy there and the motivation of the mind is established to the place that when one is settling in and becoming more and more still, the, moti the motivation to move, which is a one frequently arises, that begins to wither. So the mind in itself, in the deeper layers of itself, often, as it were, forms together, creates a motivation. And the motivation, as I mentioned, brings about an action and brings about a result. And we think, and we believe, this is the only way of living. Everybody lives like this. There's no choice for human existence. There's no fresh way of seeing, no fresh ways of being. But as we come and settle into ourselves and deepen in, into ourselves, we become aware of the initial formation of a mental energy forming together to create a motivation to do something, to move. And the movement brings a certain result, and we become aware of that. But as the refinement takes place, as more subtlety and stillness begins to come, that motivation, that harnessing of the inner energy doesn't begin to take place. And so the energy doesn't come together so much. And there's more inwardly, and in the deeper levels of one's being, a greater spaciousness. and then another order of being and action is possible. Which doesn't feel to be tied so much to this cycle which we are so familiar with in this world of desire, motivation, action and result. So in our practice, and in our sitting, sitting times here together, developing and cultivating, rather assiduously, the, uh, a psychological climate of refinement. In other words, when one has to move in the sittings, one is very clear that a movement is taking place. And, and in more refinement, the degree of physical movement itself gets more and more reduced. 
It may only be for five minutes or ten minutes in, in the sitting, and for some of you who have much exposure to this kind of climate uh, for longer periods of time. But in the settling in and in that refinement, a certain sense of stillness, initially just embracing the body, becomes more apparent. And when that truly becomes more apparent in life, doors begin to open. Remember we're here not to take upon ourselves the beliefs of others, but we're here to explore, to find out, to discover who we are, discover about the nature of things, the nature of life. And of course within that development of that refinement and greater subtlety, being with the breathing or not, one of the things which becomes apparent is that normally we feel my mind must stay focused and attentive. And I was almost tempted to name this talk The Benefits of the Wandering Mind. Because very easily within the context of the practice, we start to make the divisions again. And we're trying to discover a way of life free from division, free from divisiveness. And one of the ways which occurs in our meditation practice when sitting or when, when walking is we judge the practice to the degree of how focused I am. So that becomes, and of course you, you hear it and it gets repeated a lot about primary object, that becomes, as it were, an image in our mind which dismisses wandering mind, dismisses the movement of mind. But, where a person is engaged in their practice, their heart is into it, there's an a, 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 a interest into it, the extraordinary thing is with, with the meditative process and the inner benefits of it, it's not even so important whether one is so strictly focused and concentrated. that in spite of the mind wandering and the ideas coming and passing and the fitfuls of fan fantasy and projection and so forth, that within the context of the meditative process of just sitting and just being, there are other areas of one's inner life which are becoming integrated and harmonious simply because you are here right now. So that this division, one of the divisions which we make between being very concentrated and being scattered, and all that's implied in that, really is not the heart of meditation. It's not the main thing that one is working to discover and understand.
So in a way, we're, we're here and being together, using various forms and methods and, and techniques and, uh, and sustaining our um, interest in them. But what's happening actually is happening in ways within ourselves in terms of the energy flows, in terms of motivation and resolution and it's withering away. Ways which our thought and our ideas can't actually comprehend. And that, in a way, that's where the area of faith comes in. And so it's not at all unusual within the context of the meditation. The person may, s you may say, why am I, d the thought says, why am I doing this? Why am I sitting with knee pains and back pains and ankle pains and wandering mind and unfocused attention, etc., etc.? Why do I do this? Why do I do this in my home life? Why do I come back on a retreat every year and do it? And it's yet there's something else at some other level inside of us, in one's faith may say intuition or level, which says it feels right, it feels appropriate, it feels necessary. And as someone said to me on the, the retreat I just gave on the East Coast, I'd rather Rather than live with the mind that I've got, I'd rather sit with it. <laughs> and, and in a way, that, as a way, in a way, summed it up, I felt, in a nutshell. <laughs> so the, the, so the, at the conceptual level, as it were, you know, what I would call, the, in the upstairs, there's, there's this activity going on, but something in some other level responds to it. And a sense it feels right. And so with the cultivation and the continuity of our practice, one begins to see too that the divisions between sitting and walking and standing, eating and washing, walking upstairs and downstairs, being indoors and outdoors, that some way or other they're not separate events. <coughs> and that as we become more in touch with our inner life, and as our being begins to respond to it, action and movement seem to be something more outer. And so that sense of that stillness is discoverable when eating, discoverable when standing, discoverable when walking, as well as when sitting. And that helps to establish within our being a greater sense of space, a deepening inside of ourself which takes the emphasis on off indecisiveness and so that these kind of conglomeration of choices which we think we have begin to fade away. And in the fading of choices and the deeper meaning of it, there is life and its engagement. 
there is an expansiveness within in which the process of motivation, action and result don't have the same impact because that way of living and being is too narrow. Life is too expensive to be restricted in that way. And that opening for us is when we discover in life how extraordinarily expensive the day is. And when there is that sense and apprehension and intuition for that, it's not that one has to keep bringing the mind back from the past and from the future. It fades by itself, quietly, almost, almost unnoticeably. Because the day itself brings so much and we have so much to bring to the day. And in that, there's a faith again. There's a trust, and there's an organic movement in life in which when we give attention to tomorrow, or next week, or next month, it's just what's appropriate for us, just what's necessary. And we haven't lost sight of the expansiveness and the beauty which comprehends our own existence. And for that, as the sages have said in the past and present, to make each act worthwhile, each sitting worthwhile, each time we move to walk out worthwhile, each contact, each period of the day. And when that is there, there's an awareness and the universe must reveal all its secrets. The realities of life just come effortlessly. And in that, there's much discovery and a joy that accompanies it. May all beings discover fresh ways of seeing. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings abide expansively. Have a couple of minute quiet period together, please.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.